Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Views on View. Uh, today, we have some return, very special guests. Uh, with me on the panel is Drew Baker. How are you doing, Drew? Great. Thanks, Steve. Excited. Excited. You can hear it in his voice. He is ready <laughs> to jump through the microphone. And our very special guest, we didn't scare him off the first time, is Daniel Rowe from the next team. How are you doing, Daniel? Hey, Steve. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. Good. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So we wanted to continue from the previous episode where we were talking about Nux 3 and all the uh, goodness that is coming with Nux 3. Uh, we talked a bit about some of the, the new features and enhancements that'll be coming down the road and we didn't get it finished. So we said, hey, let's talk some more. So to start out, what we're going to do is get a little background on Daniel so you can understand his deep knowledge and pure genius with Next 3. So uh, we mentioned that you're on the Next Core team, Daniel. So how about a little more deep history? Like, were you like me and you were born at a very young age? And then the odds of that being true for both of us are really really extraordinary steve astronomical um, it, i think it happened to me also at oh, exactly wow. the same point in my life uh, exactly um, right at the beginning yes and from then from that point onward you know it was just one day after another um and that <laughs> hold on, brings hold us on, I get, that deserves something <laughs> yes that was very good i had to give you the <laughs> rim shot hey. so anyway yeah tell us about uh your journey into next it sounds like a soap opera doesn't it journey into night anyway yeah, journey into into next that, that could be any kind of any kind of story and i'll i'll work backwards i guess so the uh, so i mean at the moment i'm on the i'm on the framework team so i'm i'm one of the the core contributors and it's a it's a great great privilege to be shaping particularly nuts 3 and some of the the work that we're doing spills out of next as well into unjs um, which is another another organization on on github I'm not, I'm sponsored to do that. So I, um, lots of different people sort of pitch in and, and it's a real, real pleasure to, to be able to do that um, with most of my time. And the, the role I have is, is pretty generalist. So I'm, I'm doing, doing lots of things, whether creating documentation or helping answer people's questions or fixing bugs, building new features or discussing a vision and roadmap and where we go as a framework. So there's lots and lots of, of things that I get a chance to do. And I was asked to do that after I, after my, my previous, I decided to end my, my previous role. So I was, I was uh, heading up 
the tech side of a, of a small um, HR software as a service startup and had been doing that for a couple of years. Um, we built that uh, using Nuxt and that was really my gateway into the framework. So I started contributing PRs and helping out as much as I could. I, I really do think that for uh, in open source, giving, I, I really conceive of it as, a, as about giving. So you give back and actually other people give to you as well. So we were a business using using Nuxt. When we contributed and made Nuxt better, it helped other people. And when they contributed and made Nuxt better, it helped us too. You know, really a, a virtuous cycle. The more we were all able to pitch in, it made the, the product uh, and the ecosystem better for everybody. So, the, we, you know, it's been talked about with open source projects that a lot of people think the only way to give back is code. Um, you know, and there's documentation and so on. I'm, I'm going to guess your contributions or code contributions to, to Next 2. It's an interesting question. I, I think I probably started out with issues, maybe. Just like um, helping you in the issue queue type of thing? I, I think so, exactly. But I, I'd, I actually, I can't, I can't remember that super well. It really started, I think, I mean, you're right. It started with the pain points that I was experiencing. So mm-hmm. we had built out a serverless deployment deployment <laughs> mechanism. And uh, and so there were lots of things, particularly around the Versal Builder runtime that we, we needed help with or we needed to fix if we, we found bugs in. And I think Nux itself we found one or two issues we needed needed to resolve. Um, you know, so, in, in listening to stories of other people who have become like yourself, core contributors to a given framework, a lot of time they will say, yeah, I started helping out with issues and answering issues. Uh, could be on Stack Overflow like that. And they get noticed. People say, hey, you're really good. Do you want to help out and jump in and join in? Or they start doing code contributions as well. That's my point being, that's that's common. That's a, And those are good ways to help out with an open source project, you know, other than just straight code contributions. I completely agree. And I mean, that I, I appreciate it now looking at lots and lots of people who do the same uh, for Nuxt. Because the process of, of identity, so on an issue, even if you can't solve something, pinpointing where, where, the, where it's happening is invaluable, completely invaluable. And so often I uh, put a PR in for something um, and really I could never have gotten there without the help of the people who were, who were there before me on the issue, triaging it, figuring out what, what was really going on. So, you know, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a team sport, um, open source. So yes, I was, I was involved. And I, I will say also more generally, it is fantastic experience, I think, for any developer to be debugging something particularly something that they don't necessarily have a lot of it. It's not their, their, their main focus. So, because as you, as you dive and go through the stack trace and click, well, what, oh, this function is being called, what does that function do? And you, you sort of go back and you discover all kinds of things. I don't know about you, but I really like that. It's, it's a bit, bit of a journey of discovery and you sort of end up, I, you can sort of end up in your own head in this completely new area of code, which clearly it has contributed. There are people who've written this code. There are people who know it. There are like dependent packages upon it. There's like a whole ecosystem you might not know anything about. And you just get a chance to sort of explore and find out how it's working. Maybe it's the roll-up ecosystem and how plugins work. and Or, or maybe you're, you're diving into something like a parser and sort of AST sort of trees, things like that. Or, or you're diving into something else entirely. But genuinely, I think I've I've learned so much throughout my programming experience just just through trying to figure out how things work. But I guess that's probably not unique well, in think, any way. Uh, I think the first 
the first time I like saw your name anywhere, Daniel, I think was on a, a, a issue for Fetch in components. You sold the Fetch key thing. I think you set that up in Nux. And I remember that being like just such a huge problem solver for us. Like you were, you, you were a hero in our little team because you solved this one thing that we really, really needed. So I think to other people out there that are thinking about trying to kind of go pursue this open source career, like what you've done, solving other people's problems is uh should be a very could can be a very rewarding thing uh maybe maybe you don't necessarily find out about it but yeah definitely in this case you were <laughs> do you know maybe. that is so nice to hear <laughs> I, because I, I remember that i remember that the fetch key saga um if i don't don't don't, don't want to derail that but basically uh nuxt inst it had this concept of, of fetching data particularly was valuable in in Full static mode, but it then had to be matched up between the data that was fetched on the server and then when the component or page was rendering it on the client side. And by default, it just incremented, but that didn't always work 100%. So, for lots of reasons that we could get into, but huh, I'm, it's, it's so nice to, to hear that. It's amazing. Can we just... <laughs> I mean, just to give a little bit of background on that, what, what it was, was we we would have menus that would sometimes load the right menu data and then sometimes load the wrong menu data, you know, with no understanding of why that was happening, you know, and such a critical part of a website. And so it was just this incredible frustration point for us. And with no clue on the why it was going on, is it something we're doing and something with Nuxt, you know, and then Daniel comes along with the this fetch key PR solved for that whole issue and rescued us on a few projects. So the lesson there is uh, open source stuff like that can make a big impact on people. So yeah, it's, it's a, it must be a, a cool thing to be working on. Daniel, you mentioned the reading code. I was thinking we did an episode on JavaScript Jabber a couple of years ago, a guy named Carl Mungazi. He lives in London, I think, but it was all about reading source code and why you should read source code to learn how something works and tips and stuff on how to do it. I'll put a link in the show notes, but it was a really interesting episode because like you, I've, I I live and die with my debugger and stepping through code and watching how it functions, you know, how it goes in and out of the loops and, you know, what's being called here and, and so on. So, so yeah, I can, I can vouch for, for what you're saying. You know, it's something I actually regret that, that I love TypeScript. I love the fact that, every, that things are typed and that I have access to that kind of information in my IDE. But I don't like the fact that the default behavior when I click on a function is to take me to the types for it rather than the actual source code. And interestingly, that's changing. So VS Code now, which is what I, I tend to use, now has a way of taking you directly to the source again. Um, so things come full circle. So Daniel, you were working at a software startup doing HR software and then started working on Nuxt issues and just kind of working and helping out on that team because you were probably solving problems that you had at your own company. And then how do you go from that to working at Nuxt, someone from the Nuxt team? This because it's, it's a very interesting path that not a lot of people get the chance to do, which is like professional open source. And so how does it go from you're, you're making a bit of a name for yourself, getting known in the Nuxt community to like, hey, come work for us and we just want you to do this full time. So, I mean, I, I don't really know about the making a name for myself, but... <laughs> but <laughs> You did for me, at least. <laughs> as far as I was concerned, I was I was helping out. And and I, so, and it was, you know, just one or two projects. I think I probably the biggest thing that I then sort of made for the first time 
in terms of getting it out there and getting the experience of, of making a Nuxt module that was part of an ecosystem was with the Nuxt Composition API. And because that was really cool when the View Composition API came out for the first time and figuring out how this might work in, in legacy view projects and how we sort of would, might implement Nuxt in that. I was asked to be, so I think, so I was a, a, main, a contributor. I was then asked to be a maintainer. Uh, that was probably a couple of years ago. I was part of the, and owned a maintainer um, at the time. The idea was that you're, you're someone who is maintaining a, a maybe a Nuxt ecosystem module. So you're, you're, you're involved, you're part of the ecosystem, more than a contributor who might be less involved. So that was a real privilege. I was really honored to be asked. And it was, it was, and, and that was, we were still building our, our um, SaaS at the time. And I, I was, I was really, really pleased. And I, again, I think for me that, that idea that someone would actually say, we really value what you're doing. We think that what you're doing is, uh, is helpful and we appreciate it. I don't know about you, but that, that, that's amazing for me. The idea that, 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 that kind of appreciation means, means a lot. And, uh, so that was, that was huge. And then I guess actually it wasn't much longer and much later after that, uh, Sebastian Chopin kept on showing me little glimpses of Nux 3. I got, got access to this sort of private repo and started sort of poking around the code and seeing some of the really amazing ideas that he and Puya were, uh, were talking about at that time. And, uh, I think it was probably then, I think it, it was, it was in February, March of last year that I was then asked, uh, to be part of the, the framework team going forward. And the, uh, the Nux Labs company said they would sponsor me to do that, uh, which was again, another real honor, I thought. Uh, so I guess, yeah, I, I guess it's like, like meeting your, your childhood heroes or, you know, to be asked to be, to be, to be part of that was, yeah, meant a huge, huge amount to me. And it still does. Did you ever and work so- with uh, Debbie O'Brien? Do you get a chance to work with her at all? <laughs> was, do you know? The day that she left oh, really? for her next role, the very day that I officially sort of started uh, in that capacity, which was such a shame. But obviously, I know and love Debbie. Oh, yeah. Um, whether or not we're sort of technically overlapping on that, because I mean, we, we were working together for, for long before that in terms of thinking about the Nuxt.js website and some of her, her plans for Nuxtifying the world. So, uh, so yeah, Debbie's fantastic. Yeah, we we've had her on, as a guest here on the podcast a few times, and and yeah, she was she was always great. I remember she went to do React, Ooh. never figured that out, but and I think she's left somewhere else since then too. I haven't kept kept tabs on her, but Debbie was awesome. She was always a ton of fun. It's uh, this, to have this on here. S- small company, I think you might not have heard of them. They're just you know they're a bit of a sort of what was it called? Is it Microsoft? Is that have you heard of them? Yeah. Micro, micro, yeah, I can understand that with that name. That'd be a small company, Microsoft. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. I have to look them up. She's the the face of Playwright. So uh, for all your all your testing needs, which is very cool. She she told me about some of the what what uh, the direction they're going in as a team, and it sounds sounds amazing. So I I can't wait to dive in a little bit more. Cool. So Daniel, what's the framework? You, you said that your job over there is the, uh, on the framework team. So, what are you guys focusing on over there, and what's the what's the day to day of that like? So, the day to day, I think. At the, so, at the moment, we have a uh, weekly rhythm, and and I highly recommend this. By the way, I I recommended that we that we that we do this. We moved our sort of that weekly planning meeting to a Friday. If you if you don't do this, 
consider trying it once. It is, I think it's a superpower. Um, if you have your weekly planning meeting on a Friday with your team, then you basically start the week ahead. If you have it on a Monday, you're all, you know, there's those hours before you, you actually, you start it. Um, you don't exactly know what the agenda for the week is going to be. By the time you actually have the meeting and know what the week is going to look like, you're already halfway through a day. You've, you've lost it. Whereas if you have your meeting on a Friday, then, you know, you n- at least know you can be thinking about it on Friday. If you get anything done after the meeting on that day, you're already ahead. If for whatever reason you do something on the weekend, you're, you're miles ahead. You know, it feel, feels great. So recommend it entirely. But we have, a, have that weekly meeting just to start, think about what our priorities each individually is. Um, it's very, uh, things are pretty self-directed in terms of what we, what we want to focus on. Obviously, there's lots to do. Um, so there's, there's no shortage of features and bug fixes. Then on a day-to-day basis, I would say we probably, the focus is on the um, NUX3 right now. And that's not that that's all, where it will be always. But particularly, we were, we're going to land a stable release of NUX3 this summer. So um, that is pretty pretty high up the list in terms of what we want to, to nail. We'll also be releasing a version of NUX2, next, next minor version. 2.16 and another 2.17 as well. There's a new version of Vue coming, 2.7, which brings a lot of the Vue features. So the composition API, for example, script setup back to Vue 2 and making that all work beautifully is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but the it will remove a lot of, of workarounds, for example, that we've had to do at the moment with uh, the composition API. So each, so, so we're pretty self, self-directed. Each day we, we start with, or I start, Probably the moment I get up, I, I check Discord. I check, see if there are any any uh, DMs coming in on Twitter of people who, who need need a helping hand, and uh, check in on the status of my pull requests and issues. Do my best to call many fires, pour oil on the waves, or water on f- flames. Try not to get mixed up and accidentally pour oil on the flames. And then I think there's a lot of triage. So new issues are coming up all the time and distinguishing them from people wanting, uh, needing help. How can I do something? People not understanding how the, the framework works. And that's not necessarily on them, incidentally. That, that's often, you need to improve the documentation, make it easier for people to understand. So it's never a case of, you're wrong, <laughs> do better next time. It's always a case of, okay, how do they get there? And how can we make this more intuitive? So everything really has a takeaway, every issue that is. So it, it needs to, whether it's a, there's a bug that needs to be fixed or documentation that needs to be improved, or even just a case of nothing needs to be changed right now, but we still have to think about it. So I would say that every day, I mean, I have a little internal targets for myself in terms of how many I, I have PRs, I, I, I'm pushing bugs, I'm fixing, but that's all reactive. And we don't just want to be reactive in terms of addressing things that people are raising. We actually need to address and advance the framework itself because there are lots of really important things we need to, to build in Nuxt and in the, the ecosystem as well, um, Nitro, for example. And so I have my weekly priorities, which I've, I've set up for myself, which I can then use as a bit of a North Star to ensure that no matter how much triage there is and responding and fixing, I'm still able to focus on what I, what I want, want to achieve. Sometimes I feel like I'm doing better in terms of, of landing some cool feature Sometimes, I don't know, sometimes you don't feel like you're as productive, but it's uh, it's a lot of fun. And, and basically, I arrive at the end of the day, sort of often feeling a little bit, w- 
I almost don't know what's happened. I often just grab lunch while I'm while I'm working. So it, there's not a lot of gap. It's a case of from the moment I'm able to start, which is when I, I so I, I look after my my baby son, who's two and a half, until about nine o'clock in the morning, and then I sort of solidly work from there until maybe four thirty or five. Then spend the evening with him, and then do some more work later on. But I can often feel by that that point when I when I stop at four thirty or five, I don't know where my head is. <laughs> it's sort of a bit spinning. I've been been in a world of code and problem solving, which is which is quite fun. So, Daniel, who's setting, what are you using to sort of prioritize the, the features that do get added or that you guys are working on? Is there a level of, I'm sure you guys have a big list of things that you need to get done by a certain time, but, you know, who, where's, where is that stuff coming from? Is that coming from sort of community feedback on things people want? Or is that this internal kind of direction that you guys think this is where the future is? So it's a mix. There are, so a lot of it is coming from the community. I have a document. I asked a question on Twitter recently about DX improvements for Nuxt. And every every response is collated in a, a document, which I'm I'm working through in terms of how we can improve things. And obviously we have the normal open source tools of collaboration like uh, GitHub issues. And that is absolutely um, a great place to to feedback feature requests because we will, we do work through those. And I will, um, if I'm feeling like I need a pick me up and I want, want to land something, I'll pick an enhancement and build it. And that feels great. So yeah, we, we, we listen as much as possible to community ideas. In terms of things that, that are driven internally, we, we try as much as possible to create RFCs, which are published as discussions in uh, the GitHub frame, uh, repository for uh, the framework and those RFCs are often sometimes they are commented upon and picked up and people comment give feedback. Sometimes they're not at all. So if you if you are interested in shaping the direction that Nuxt goes in, please search for RFCs. There's a separate category of discussion that we use for it, uh, and there are also lots and lots of enhancement issues that that the, we the framework team create in the repository that are things we're planning on doing, and feedback is also welcome on those. So um, that's probably the best way to see what our internal priorities are. But there's there's some stuff that is ecosystem-wide. So at, at the moment, and I should say that all of this, the uh, the framework lead is Puya Parsa. So um, in terms of what actually ends up on that list of things that we are going to do, he has the final call on that uh, in terms of how things are implemented or whether they are implemented. And we try as much as possible to act um, unanimously, but sometimes, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's you need someone to make make a call on something. So there are decisions we've uh, made, and we, we we try to to communicate them more broadly, and we try and do that through GitHub issues or however people are getting in contact with us. We also ha- now have a roadmap in the documentation, and as much as possible, we're we're seeking to be more and more open about that. We're looking to move forward as well in terms of opening up our internal meetings so that they can actually be seen. People can look at the notes, bullet points. The plan is that, for example, I'll be putting my action plan for the week up uh, more publicly so people can actually see what it is. That my- that's, that's cool and interesting, but is anyone asking for that? <laughs> Why are you guys doing that? No, no one is actually asking for that. That's true. <laughs> If you have other suggestions for so building in public, so part of it is 
so in a sense, I think part of part of it is that I think we'll be better at building Nuxt if people have a chance to give feedback and thoughts. So I mean, <laughs> you'll be better if you let random on the internet give you some some feedback. I mean, yeah, that's it's a great, the, very open source thing. Well, yeah, I mean, basically, there there are obviously there is obviously helpful feedback and unhelpful feedback, and it figuring out how, and this is true of any project, right? Not just open source. You know, there lots of people have very particular use cases. They need to do X, and they want the um, what they're using to make it possible for them to do that. Sometimes, if that's p- made possible, it has negative consequences for other people. Um, or it just has negative consequences in that it makes things a lot more complex and difficult to test, for example. Or, or even just no one else cares about it. And so who's going to maintain maintain it? So that there are lots of difficult decisions to be made. It's not a case of just, hey, we're built we're building building this this by committee, right? That's the 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 classic a camel is a horse designed by committee. You, we don't just want everything to be thrown into the mix. But Nuxt has always been a hackable framework, so which is why we have this whole modules ecosystem. And ideally, what we want is for all those use cases that are not going to be supported in the core Nuxt, you can actually do your own. You can, you can hook into the Nuxt instance, um, you can hook into Nitro, and you can change the behavior such that it meets your use case without actually needing to change the direction of the framework as a whole. That's really important to me in terms of, because that's how I use Nuxt. Uh, the, the fact that I was able to take full control uh, made a huge difference to me. So in terms of my own experience of building with it. So I really want to see that stay. And so I think, I think that's absolutely crucial. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Yeah, I mean, my my thought on that is that you, you part, part of why I love Nux and using Nux is that you have just the right amount of opinionated framework, you know? Like it's not, hey, you can do anything. So there's no right way to do anything in that scenario. You, Nuxt has done a really good job of there being kind of like the Nuxt way. And if you can kind of find that path, that makes everything kind of easy. Uh, And also really translates across teams really well. You know, like you can just jump into someone's uh, project and get a really good idea of like how things are set up just because there's the next way and everyone does it that way. So so there's a I imagine you guys have a bit of a needle to thread there of, of allowing kind of anything to work, but then also trying to have kind of a established path for most things. It's uh yeah, it's a delicate balance, I'm sure, but it it's so far it's worked. That is uh, nice of you to say. Yeah, that's an interesting um, balance. I mean, we have in my day job, we have a pretty large SaaS platform that has a particular uh, market, you know, particular people that we're that we're serving, but you know, we have so we have an input system that we use called Canny, 
you know, it's just a, it's a third party system where people can put in, you know, comments and suggestions. Hey, I'd like to see this. Hey, I'd like to see that. And then, you know, if you see something that's you want that somebody's already suggested, you can give it a vote and you look at votes. But then there's also the balance between that and what we know we need to build in just based on our knowledge of the market and knowledge of the tool and where it's at and what needs to be enhanced. And in talking to my my boss, you know, who's built our platform from the ground up, he said, you know, one of the things you'll run into is you'll see these, you know, these requests for features and stuff and sort of the squeaky wheel gets, not the squeaky wheel gets the grease, but the squeaky wheel does a lot of squeaking in terms of you get a lot of the people who are, you know, very vociferous and they're the ones out there making the requests. But the request might be something that's very particular to them, you know, that's not going to be good for everybody as a whole. And so you're, I imagine in Nuxt, it's even a larger scale, um, you know, where you have to balance what certain people are asking for very loudly versus maybe what be, that might be sort of niche for them, you know, and balancing what you know of the framework and, and, and what needs to be done and what you guys have in your roadmap, you know, for what needs to be done. So I can only imagine the, the intricate balance you got to strike there in terms of what to implement and how to implement it. Yeah, absolutely. It is it is tricky. And I'm sure we won't always get it right. But it's. I think, uh, f- for me, I always think, when I'm saying that, the, uh, talking about the value of getting these these contributions from people, I'm not, I'm not talking about the value of people telling the framework what to do. But often people have, I, so, I mean, one, I really enjoy the fact that people have lots of use cases and actually diving into some of them and sort of debugging people's Docker file setups and Kubernetes clusters is, is fun. <laughs> so just, just to sort of see, see what people are doing, which is often very different from what other people are doing. But often people have great ideas, really great ideas um, that I would never have thought of myself because I, maybe I would have thought of a different idea. But it's, it's, I really, really do think it's, it's the benefit of doing things in public and doing things in, in open source. It is potentially chaotic. And it's potentially a negative on your mental health. If you're getting a lot of sort of do what I want, why aren't you doing what I want? Um, why hasn't this been seen to do you not care? You know, sort of a lot of things, you know, we, we do this because we do care, which also means that that kind of thing is quite hurtful. So, you know, there, there is there's the whole sort of slight chaos of it, of having to, to navigate and, and surf it and actually sort of bring something good out of, out of, all, of the, all of that. But I think what, what you can bring out of it is so much better than if you were just doing it on your own. Like if it, if it was just Daniel and his ideas for Nuxt and that is it, <laughs> I think it would be so much worse than if, if everyone was, than what we have now, which is, which is I think, much better. Well, you talked about uh, your RFC process and road, open sourcing the roadmaps. And then Steve mentioned the squeaky wheel. So I'd like to be that squeaky wheel and talk about the roadmap. <laughs> Where, uh, <laughs> something I was dealing with this week, it was just trying to scale up our sort of infrastructure to handle more traffic and things like that. And incrementing static, static rendering would be a big problem solved for me right now. And that's something that we did t- sort of touched on a little bit in the last episode. And uh, I'd like to get more in the weeds on that with you. Like, where where you're at with incrementing static rendering, and maybe you want to talk a little bit about you know what that is and and what that could do, and and how you guys are solving it. That'd be really interesting. Yeah, I think so, the correct word term for that is holy grail. Is is that right? Yeah, for me it would be. <laughs> so the so in, incremental uh, static regeneration, or um, and there are other terms for it as well. And um, so the idea is that 
you have a way of producing, and sorry, I know you know this, <laughs> this but just, just in, in general, this sort of for, for everyone uh, listening, uh, if it's the idea is uh, you have a way after the initial deployment of producing a, a static value, a static file that it can then be sort of wrapped into the CDN and served as though it were part of the initial deployment. I think that is probably what we're talking about. Um, and that, so that's certainly how it works for something like Versal. And it's how it works for something like Netlify with their um, builder functions. And uh, and a lot of the, the concept of incremental uh, static regeneration regener- is also the concept of, that it can be regenerated. So n- not it, or revalidated. So you can have something that is part of the, the cache, part of that initial, part of the CDN on your initial deploy. And you also want to be, have the ability to make a change to it. So for example, if you have that C, uh, CMS and you have your content and you change the title of one of your articles, it's already generated, it's already in the build output, but ideally you would like only to change that one file and maybe the index that links to it. And the, the tricky bit of that particular puzzle incidentally is because you don't know how many things you have to regenerate in order to affect that, right? So you have a related article section at the bottom of, of your article, and maybe this new title appears on that. You have to figure out which ones it does. So it's, it's a really tricky process. It can't, it's not easy. And typically, when you see this implemented, people implement it by means of giving control to the user. And it's then up to you to figure out in your own project if how you revalidate it. Um, how, how which URLs you you now have to revalidate? But I digress. So if that's incremental static regeneration, uh, the idea that it doesn't have to be done at build time, but it can be done afterwards and still wrapped into the CDN. How do we make that happen? And at the moment, we've got support in um, Nitro. Now, this is a Nitro question, um, rather than I realize Nitro and Nuxt. We're sort of we're talking most of the time. If you're dealing with Nuxt, you're dealing with Nitro. Um, but it, but this is a, a server feature. So this is figuring out how to do this within the Nitro itself. And we actually have a cache API already. Uh, I don't know, Drew, if you've explored it at all. No, I haven't. I'm, I'm hoping to get kind of the introduction so, to it right now. <laughs> uh, you may, in fact, be able to do something very similar to ISG today is the fact. We're, it's it's still sort of in, in development and we want to improve the experience of this for people. At the moment, you can either do this individually. So each endpoint, whether if you're talking about API endpoints, can be wrapped in a cached, instead of just an event handler, you can wrap it in using a method called cached event handler. And it takes a number of options. I'll we'll make sure this link is in the, uh, the show notes. It has a number of options that you can use um, in order to set things like um, how long the cache should last for, um, whether to use stale while revalidate behavior. And the idea is you serve the cached version, even if it's out of date, you serve the cached version immediately and revalidate it in the background. And, and that that often is a fantastic strategy. So the, the, you can do this on a per endpoint basis. You can also define whole groups to cache. So, for example, if you wanted to stay a while, we validate a strategy, which is very similar to incremental static generation for your entire site, you could do that. You just, in the, the Nitro roots configuration in your Nuxt config, you could just pass the glob, say everything. I want SWR to be applied to this. And what will then happen is your entire site will be cached. You can, which effectively gives you 
some of the benefits that we're talking about in terms of ISG. Because what will happen with SWR is you will get instantaneous responses if it has been visited even once. Now, that is not full ISG. Um, and so full ISG is still coming, but you can get something that's a lot, very close to it right now with Nitro. And the way that some of these things are going to be built and developed in the future is the same. The concept of these root rules. So yes, enable SWR for these roots or enable other, like add cause headers for these roots, etc. So you don't have to do it manually. Would something like what you're proposing work I mean, would this work on something like Netlify where there is no server? So if I'm trying to request something that doesn't exist, like the first visit, so, it, it, it would hit my API in that scenario, right? So believe it or not, we have just like on Versal, on Netlify, we have a function endpoint that can render and we can, the, the implementation is different for every provider. So because they have different APIs for how they, they, they support this kind of feature. So the, the key is that we have something in Nitro itself that allows users to have the same interface. So they're not having to change. So there's no vendor lock-in, for example. So they're not having to change the, the code they write to, based on which deployment provider they're on. But the implementation will vary. Because, for example, if you are deploying to Versal or Netlify or just your own your own PM2 cluster running on a, on a server somewhere, how we cache it and how we implement ISG is slightly different. So Netlify, the, the canonical way of doing that is builder functions. There is actually a Netlify builder function preset in the in the document in, in, in Nitro. This is not how we want to have it ultimately, because you have to opt in for your entire deployment right now. And so you can create a builder function Netlify deployment, which is therefore ISG, and it will be permanent. Ideally, we want that to be on a per root basis. And so that is just, that's something we need to sort of implement in Nitro, but it's specific to the Netlify preset. The Versal approach with SWR works really well because the SWR headers that we set tr- tell Versal to put something to, to handle it in the CDN layer. So that's effectively what you would want. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, so th- this sounds great. Uh, a problem that I've been running up against and I, and I think it's because the JavaScript world is going so fast and and what's happened in JavaScript in the front end is you know, over the last few years is so impressive that a lot of the sort of legacy providers and, you know, in my case, like CMSs and things aren't really used to this idea of static site generation and all of these kinds of things. And so the interface between those two sometimes is friction. <laughs> and so having these kinds of features, I think, will take the load off of, you know, essentially like a DDoS attack against your <laughs> your legacy kind of APIs. That's how they look at these build processes. And so being able to, you know, ISG these things is going to be huge. So can you give us any kind of idea on when this will this sort of stuff will be landing? I know that that's a, I'm putting you on the spot there. <laughs> so what is your deployment target? Nellify would be for, for me specifically. So you can deploy with a Netlify builder function today and your whole site will be ISG and you just need to set the preset. So normally we, we use zero config for Netlify. So you don't have to do any configuration. Nux knows it's building a Netlify. It will produce the, the right kind of Netlify function. So if you want to use ISG on Netlify, you use Netlify-Builder. You would set that as an environment variable. It's probably the best way of doing it. So you probably don't want to do it when you're doing it locally. And you just set nitro preset, nitro underscore preset as Netlify Builder. And you will effectively get 
ISG. It will be cached at the edge on subsequent visits. And if you are, and you would you would do next build, and you would pass a list of of URLs that you want to pre-render if you do want them any to be pre-rendered at all. So you don't run next generate, you just run next build, but you have a, a list of URLs, it will pre-render those and then use the the serverless function to render any that are not pre-rendered, and it will then cache them permanently. So that's ISG on Netlify. So it's working now. That's great. It is. That's the best possible possible question and answer. <laughs> <laughs> there's it's not to say there's no no work to be done, particularly on other other providers, and particularly on implementing this per route, so that you can say we want these routes to be ISG and, and those ones not to be, and we want these to be regenerated after this amount of time, etc. Uh, you mentioned zero config, and and that's a um, sort of a philosophy that you guys have really embraced, uh, and I know that you've been pushing that in, in a big way. I think that's fantastic, by the way. <laughs> I wish more people kind of embraced that uh, setup for sure. That was part of your View Amsterdam talk, wasn't it? I think in your developer experience thing, you mentioned just kind of going after that. How I just wanted to kind of transition into the View Amsterdam stuff because you were there. How was it and any big takeaways that you came out of that with? And what do you think the future is for you guys and for View after that? So View Amsterdam was great. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I think one of the key things for me that, that I most liked was meeting people that I've been collaborating with online for, feels like, for a very long time. So over the, over the course of the pandemic, a lot of them, People you would you would think we would have had a chance to meet before had and we've you know we're just we're doing it async we're doing it online and so that was that was fantastic just really really lovely although there were still people that I found out were later were there and I didn't get a chance to say I do so I'll just have to go back uh, sooner to another conference sooner I think for, for me personally you know it it marks in some ways you know this is a post pandemic conference and one of the first. I was at Vue.js London as well, but those two are the only post-pandemic conferences I've been to. And so it, it feels like things are opening up in some ways in terms of face-to-face events. I don't know about where you are, but it felt a little bit like that, that the doors are, are open again to, to have conferences in Europe. Um, and that that feels feels great because I'm I'm an extrovert. I love love seeing people and and talking and just brainstorming and coming up with ideas. Um, so that, that really, really works well for me. Um, I think... The conference as a whole, there were some great ideas presented. So the talks were just were excellent, I think. And talks, I didn't even get a chance to, to hear all of them in as much detail. I've, I'm going back and listening to them now, just because I thought it was really, really good. Yeah, any, any um, big standout ones you think we should definitely see? So definitely there's lots to see. If you're to check out Histoire, Guillaume spoke about uh, his his new Vite-powered a story, uh, Histoire's French story. A story. Yeah, it's like, um, it's like an alternative to storybook. <laughs> I didn't want to say that. That was what I, I was trying to point yeah, saying. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's great. And it's the idea is it will be it will be framework agnostic. Um, so it can be used by Svelte and React and so on. But but certainly for a view author, what you'll find is that it's so in tune with the view um, yeah. sensibility. I'm actually excited of, about that one because using we use storybook a lot at funkhouse my company and it you can definitely feel that it's react kind of getting made to work in a view world and uh yeah it's painful so yeah i'm very excited to to use this yeah absolutely i think it would be be really interesting to and anyway it looks it looks great lots of innovation there so for example you can 
you can it it works back so it can show you what the source of of what you have on your screen is. So imagine you deploy your design system using this, and then your your designer goes or your or somebody goes in and sort of sets the button to be what they want, and then they can copy and paste the source code for now how you use that view component with the props that it would need to render that on screen. That's amazing, and it does that at runtime, so it can do that in production code as well as uh, dev code. Anyway, some really really interesting features. Not visual regression testing. Anyway, and what was fun was that uh, Guillaume open sourced it live. So, you know, there we were and goes to GitHub on the screen and marks it as public. Lots, not lots of, of good vibes there. So Danny, you were talking earlier about RFCs and input and so on in the in the next environment. I want to clarify just for myself, because I'm looking at GitHub and there's a bazillion different repos where exactly these places to input comments and answer RFCs and and do all of this providing of opinion, shall we say, for next, and where this all happens. So right now, we're talking about particularly the development of Nuxt 3, uh, and that and the repo is Nuxt slash framework. That's, so just like with Vue, the move from two to three, we you now have, confusingly, Vue.js Vue, and Vue.js core. And Vue.js view is Vue 2, and Vue.js core is Vue 3. Similarly, with Nuxt, we have Nuxt, forward slash Nuxt.js, and that's Nuxt 2. And we have Nuxt, forward slash framework, and that's Nuxt 3. We also have a number of other um, things in that core Nuxt namespace, such as Bridge, the Nuxt image module, and so on. But yes, RFCs are in Nuxt framework. We might at some point split them out into a separate repository, but we don't want to make it harder for people to contribute. And by creating a separate repository, the potential downside is that it makes it makes it less discoverable. But that's the kind of thing we'll we'll need to reevaluate and see what works. For now, the RFCs are a Nuxt framework. So are they issues? They have a particular tag because I'm looking through here and I'm not I don't know if I see anything tagged as RFC. So they're discussions and they're tagged RFCs. So okay. send you a direct link if that's that's helpful. No, I've got it. Yeah, you're there. Okay. Yes, discussions in the framework repo. All right, we'll add a link to that in the show notes for people who wanna want to dive in, those. prepare their own suggestion or or see what what there is. And yeah, Drew can follow the the root, the hybrid rendering root caching rules, which is what we've been talking about, probably is already there. Probably has posted half a dozen comments. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Drew, is there anything else you wanted to ask about? I mean, there's a million, there's a million yeah. things that I think uh, we've already got this long enough. And uh, really, I just want to, I mean, really, it comes down to just using these things, and everyone should start using Nux3 if you're building websites. I think, I know, Steve, you've been getting some feedback about oh, people hearing us talk about Nux and want to give it a try i think that you know what i think what everyone will ask me like what what's the difference between nuxt and view and i always describe it as and i'm curious actually how you guys describe it daniel but my explanation is always i think view is fantastic at building components and nuxt is amazing at building websites so if you're looking to build a website you you really shouldn't use nuxt i think and it uses view for the component layer so if you know view you'll you'll pick it up quickly. Is that is that kind of would you say that's correct Daniel or how do you guys describe it? I mean I think yeah I think I think whenever anyone asks me what Nuxt is I say it's you know it's a framework for building web apps and I think that's the and I mean you you're right you know Vue is the underlying underlying technology so it's you know it's 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 like like React 
but you wouldn't deploy a site that is just React. There's a lot, uh, a lot you want to to make sure that your site is is performing well. You know, you need SEO and you need you need SSR probably, and and you need deployment strategies. And there's lots more beyond the the interactivity and the virtual DOM. And and Nuxt aims to provide those with no configuration needed, but configuration possible. So the the best practices built in. But I mean, I completely agree with you. That that is what we're aiming aiming to be. And that's not a slight in any way on on view. And on the you know the great tooling that that is is there from view. But yeah, that's aims to to be great DX for, for I, I uh, had a really interesting client story this week that I think kind of illustrates to to listeners out here the the advantages. So we built a website back in 2019 for this company called London Alley. You can check it out, LondonAlley.com. Really, really cool website, very high design and lots of animation and video and things going on. And when we built that, it's a Nux website, we Nux 2. We built that originally as a server-side rendered app. So it was living on a Heroku node server and was running in what Nux calls universal mode. So instantly would update when new content got published. And then the client would just get a lot of traffic because they work on some pretty high-profile high music videos. And so we would run up against server load and all these kinds of things. And so we we said to the client, like, let us convert this to a Nuxt SSG site, so a static, static generated site. And so we did that. So the only code changes were just some things to make it SSG friendly, just handling kind of the way, basically, to anyone who knows, we just moved a bunch of Nuxt fetch requests into some Nuxt async data requests and just kind of did some things that are a bit more static site friendly. M- minor stuff took me a day to change it over. And our Google page speed, like Lighthouse scores went from a 50 to 90. And that's all I did. <laughs> so if you're looking for easy wins on like a page speed and performance stuff, just going static site generated if you can, you know, like de- depending on if you've got like a web app that's highly interactive and doesn't make a lot of sense necessarily for static site generation, you should really consider SSG as just an easy win for huge performance grade upgrades. So anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting stuff. And I think that's why I'm so excited about this ISG stuff, because I think you can get the best of both worlds. I, I really agree. I mean, if you can make something static, you should. And ideally, if you can then make some things, whatever parts of your site can be static, static, and keep whatever has to be dynamic, dynamic, that's, you know, even better. So if you have, you know, your own API, you can make that dynamic, or you have, anyway, I think there's some really interesting things to go into. But before we move away from London Alley, everyone should immediately go and curl it or um, use HTTP because you you have the, the coolest ASEAT funk house in the <laughs> actual HTML on the site is amazing. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to have a little, you know what? I, I'm obsessed with this YouTube channel called Tested, which is Adam Savage from um, Mythbusters, his show. Yeah. And I watched an episode where he talked about how the, all of the makers at ILM that build all the props and stuff for Star Wars and stuff and him himself, they would kind of really make a point about putting their name in on the prop somewhere, you know, on these yeah. pieces of art that they were making. And they would just talk a little bit about like the sneaky ways that they would do it. And, you know, like the, the X-Wing model would have their name on it or something somewhere. And just how important that is, you know, and uh, 
I saw that and I was like, no, we really should do that too, you know, and we should really give room for the people because, you know, the work that we do is, and the work a lot of the listeners are working on, you know, don't get a lot of visibility, you know, like the, the code we wrote. <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, people will look at a website and not know who really built it. And so I think it's important that you you kind of sneak your own little maker's mark in there somehow. And so that was that's a fun one we do. I love that idea because I guess you're saying, you're taking you're taking ownership of it. And that also means of the quality of that, right? You know, you're not hiding behind here's an anonymous website for some as in that's that's great because yeah, with yeah, I love it. I bet it's also um great recruiting tool as well. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, not as much as you would think. <laughs> but anyway, that's a whole other podcast. That I love all those little like recruiting like console messages or like the, the the famous one that's supposed to show up in Google results if you're you're Googling a whole bunch of things. Anyway. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Steve, should we get on to picks? Yes, we shall. And just for that, we'll start with you. Me? Okay. I've been really interested in this thing called PreviewJS. So if you look it up, it's essentially, it's kind of like the storybook stuff we were talking about, or the history stuff. You get, like most of us have got probably got the same setup. We've got IDE open, and then we have our browser open, you know, taking up the other half of the screen. Well, what this does is kind of combines the browser part into your IDE, but also gives you a little bit of a window for entering props. So you can be building a component and get a preview of that component in your IDE with a little section to update the props into it. So up until kind of now, whenever you built a component, you you pretty much have to have built the website that the component lives in, or you have to have like kind of mocked up some use of the component so that you can, can see it and pass props into it and everything. So it didn't, or you had to be using Storybook or something like history to do it. This removes all of that. And so now you can just be working on a component and have a preview of that component right there in your IDE. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, that's really cool. Fabulous. Previewjs.com. I believe that's what you're talking about, right? At least. Yeah, exactly. Like yep. What you described. Yeah, they have a nice uh, image uh, using vis- uh, VS Code <clears throat> on the front page that shows changing changing some colors or changing some things on one side and then seeing the preview there on the right. That looks really groovy. Daniel, you got anything for us today? Yeah. By the way, on just on Previewjs, you should check out Volar, um, which has a similar kind of functionality for your Nuxt app as a whole. So not a specific component, but you can you can use Volar, uh, you open preview mode, it gives you a little Nuxt icon in the, the toolbar. It opens Nuxt and you can actually inspect. So you click a little magnifying glass and you can click into your fully rendered website and it will, as you move it, it will open up the component that is actually rendering that bit of the site in, that, in your IDE. Um, so you can actually see one-to-one what is actually producing this bit of the site. It's a great way in. Um, it's not not the same thing uh, as PreviewJS, but it's a great way into a, a a new site, for example, if you're looking at it. So do do uh, try that out. The pick I was going to... Can, can I can I do more than one pick, Steve? Yes, Will you allow sure, me? Of course. Yeah, you can do one or two or three. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll restrain myself to just, just uh, three. So obviously, Volar is amazing. 
I was going to mention uh, a cinema. A cinema is, or a cinema, or however you want to pronounce it, is a way of recording everything that happens in your shell. So you can run, uh, sort of start recording, uh, and then you do commands or whatever, and you then get a file that you can replay, which has your entire shell, you know, your bash or like your, your terminal window, you can replay it later. So if you're wanting to do a tutorial or show off some cool new tool, you can record it with a cinema. And it's been around for ages. And I just encountered it on a, a tool website the other day. And I thought, I wonder where that's coming from, coming from. And I discovered it myself. Great. It's really, really lots of fun. A How cinema. do you spell that, Daniel? A cinema? It's a- ASCII, like the encoding. Oh, ASCII. Okay. Uh, and then... Nima, like cinema. So uh, uh, okay, I found it. It's cinema.org. Yeah, check it out. And then there's some there's some fun fun sessions, and it, it's really very capable in terms of being able to capture everything that you've got going on, including colors and lines and whatever else is there. A full use. Oh, of I totally traces. love tools like this. I need these. All right, so Bolar and a cinema. Those are your picks. Yeah, that that's it for me. All righty, excellent. So I will end with the dad jokes i'm on vacation this week so i'm too lazy to dig up something else so i will uh uh, (laughs) being brutally honest here so for this one you're going to have to think in terms of roman numerals okay so did you know that in ancient rome there are actually four types of poison okay so poison one poison two and poison three would kill you with varying degrees of pain but poison four would make you really itchy For those of you who don't understand, that's IV in Roman numerals, poison IV. Now, if you think about this, and you got to think about this carefully, humans eat more bananas than monkeys. I mean, have you ever eaten a monkey? And then finally, this one is for you. Oh, no, I'll go two more here now since I started that one. So did you know that the Earth's surface is 70% water? This is A equals B and B equals C, right? So the Earth's surface is 70% water. That water is uncarbonated. So therefore, the earth is flat. And then finally, this is for y'all, you chemists out there, anybody who knows their chemical element symbols. What fish is made out of two sodium atoms? You guys think about this? Two sodium atoms. Tuna. For those of you who, who might not understand that the symbol for sodium is Na, Na on the chart of elements. I love the dad joke kind of goes to another level when you then explain the dad joke it's like yes double, well double some joke. of these yeah some of these if you're reading them they make perfect sense but when you have to say them then you sort of that to me it sort of takes the air out of it but uh i think it still works it still works i'm yeah, yeah you're impro- it's improvisation of of medium so I, all right i love it <laughs> All right. So with that, we will wrap up this episode of Views on View. Thank you, Daniel, for coming again and talking to us more about Nuxt and everything going on with Nuxt and Drew with how it's being used in the real world. And we will talk to everybody next time. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Daniel. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.